Pastor Xavier Reese and the loving hand of God reaching from heaven to earth. God through His love and forgiveness reached man through His Son. And because He's man, He can grab a hold of man's hand. And because He's God, He can grab a hold of the hand of God. And then what He did is die for us in that joint fellowship with God with man. That's the miracle of, of salvation, that God did what man could never accomplish. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We've come to expect the presidential election season to last nearly two years, beginning with the predictions of the prognosticators up until our next leader is voted into office. But in today's expositional study, Pastor Xavier describes how the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, was prophesied over 700 years in advance by the prophet Micah. And in a message titled, The Ruler of Israel to Come, we'll hear some of the best descriptions of the eternal reign of Christ of the Old Testament. Let's listen. Micah the prophet was called by God to proclaim not only judgment against Israel, but to reveal the character of God which is loving forgiveness when there is true, genuine repentance. The last chapter of Micah, chapter 7, verse 18 to 20, he declares that, Who is God like you? And he goes on to speak about pardoning iniquities, passing over the transgressions, not retaining his anger forever. He delights in mercy, loving kindness. He has compassion on those whose sins he subdues, and he casts all their sins in the depths of the sea. And he does all that according to the covenant that he made in days of old with Abraham. And this is what God desires to reveal himself to all those who are willing to hear. Three times in the book of Micah, over and over again, Jesus called out to the people, Hear, the Spirit of God in the book of Revelation to the churches says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As he brings about a transformation of his life by the power of the Spirit, and by the Word of God. And this is exactly what Micah was trying to do, to proclaim God's loving kindness. Yes, he proclaimed judgment, but he also proclaimed a future blessing of Israel. It was all in view of repentance that they might turn. Remember the prophet Ezekiel says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he might turn and live. And sometimes there's a very wrong view of God among even God's people, that God is ready to wipe people out. And there is a side of God that is anger, and there is a fire and brimstone, that's legitimate. But there's that counterbalance, that one that just brings it to perspective, His love. And so you cannot go to one at the exclusion of the other. But the full balance in the counsel of God, showing that God is love, but because He's love, He hates sin, and because He hates sin, His anger must be poured out. But the provision has been made by God for this forgiveness, of sins was provided for from the beginning of time. Even as Adam and Eve failed, right at the beginning, God could have said, forget it, there's no more. I'll just start all over again. I'll wipe you guys out. But He made provisions. He gave sacrifice. He gave the animal by which they were to slay, and they were to come before God with the blood. And that blood would cover, would atone, would, would expiate for their sins. Now, how can God do that? I mean, if He's holy, how can that blood do that? Because God makes the rules. But even through the Old Testament, he gave animal sacrifice. But all of those sacrifices were only shadows and types of the Lamb of God to come. 
And so all in the Old Testament, all spoke of Christ to come. That's why John the Baptist said, as he looked to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Now, the Gentiles, if there were Gentiles around there as he was baptizing, didn't understand anything when he said that. But every Jew knew exactly what he meant when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. In their mind, they saw a priest. In their mind, they saw an animal. In their mind, they saw him cut his throat. In their mind, they saw blood put on the altar. In their mind, they saw forgiveness when he said that. They knew exactly what he was talking about because God had schooled the nation of Israel for thousands of years to prepare themselves to receive their Messiah. And in spite of all the preparations, they rejected him. In spite of all the preparations that God has made for the age of grace today, people are still rejecting Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, I pray that you open your heart to what God has to say to you. Because if you were to die right now, you would be eternally lost. Whether you believe that or not doesn't change the fact that it would happen. It would happen. Because Jesus said that the only thing that separates us from eternity is the life that we have here right now. But once we pass from this life, then we are eternally sealed either with God or separated from God. There is no in-between. There is no second chance. The chance for living for all eternity with God will depend upon your decision for God during this life. Now, Micah here in chapter 5, verse 2 to the beginning of verse 5, gives us a panoramic view of the Messiah from His birth to the reign of the Messiah here on earth for a thousand years. Let me read the section for you and then we'll discuss it. He says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth has been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. In verse 2, we see the coming Messiah. The place of his birth was to be Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. A seeming insignificant little town, little among the thousands of Judah. And yet God's ways are not our ways. You know, when we decide to do something, we want to do it as flashy as we can, and we want it to do it as big as we can so that we can impress people. One thing about being God is you're not worried about impressing people. And so the way you do things is so much different from people who are always trying to impress people. And he took this little town out of the way to be the place of the birth of the Messiah. It is not only Bethlehem, but it's identified as Ephrata, which means fruitful. It is not to be confused with the other Bethlehem, which is not far from it. This place right here was the very place where David resided as a young man. You find that in 1 Samuel 17, 12. And yet God from the beginning had promised the Messiah, remember when David was on his throne and, and God began to proclaim to him that he was going to set up a, a house for him because he wanted to build a house, but he couldn't because he was a man of war, a man of blood. 
And David was so overwhelmed because God says, I'm going to build you a house. And as we go through the genealogy, as we follow the scripture, we see that Jesus was in the line of David. For even Jesus proclaimed to the Pharisees one day, he says, now you've asked me all kinds of questions. Let me ask you a question. You know, the scriptures declare, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit down on my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. If he is David's son, how is it that David calls him Lord? And he said nobody could answer him. <laughs> it's very evident why. Because in that culture, a father would never call his son Lord. Definitely the psalmist, David, was not speaking about himself, but he was speaking about the father saying to the son, sit down my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Interesting that here it's prophesied about Bethlehem, yet as we look to the New Testament, we see that God had a problem, or at least from the perspective of man. For in Luke chapter 2, in the first seven verses, Mary and Joseph were over in Nazareth, and yet the scriptures declare that he was to be born in Bethlehem. But being God, it's no problem for him to do what he has proclaimed he will do. And he began to move in the heart of Caesar Augustus to have a census for a tax. And he proclaimed that all to go back to their original city so that the census could be taken. And yet Mary was already with the child. Who would take such a trip being pregnant? on a donkey. And yet God, in His marvelous ways that we do not understand, works through the most impossible circumstances to bring about His perfect will. And just when we think we got, have God all figured out, He throws a curve on us. <laughs> you might find yourself in a situation where you say, well, God can't work here. There's no way. I, I've checked out every avenue and, 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 and I can't figure out anything. Therefore, you've concluded that, that God is no smarter than you. And therefore, you have limited your God by what you can see done or not done. And so Joseph and Mary move on. And they came there to Bethlehem. And when the Magi's came seeking the Messiah, the king of the Jews, they came to Jerusalem. And, and when Herod heard this, he was a, a paranoid maniac. He was always afraid someone was going to take his kingdom. He killed many of his family. And it says, And Herod was troubled, and along with him all of Jerusalem. <laughs> And so he inquired of the Pharisees and the scribes, and he asked, you know, whereabout is this king of the Jews to be born? And they declared to him the passage here in Micah 5.2, that it would be in Bethlehem. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew they were the religious men of the day. They had all the knowledge down, but they didn't have the Messiah themselves. One of the greatest dangers today is that God has done such a tremendous work in the last 20 years in pouring out His Spirit and reaching people is that we are here at the step and at the threshold of stepping into a dormant state, if you will, of the church of God should tarry because we've got so much knowledge that we'll forget what God has really has done. If you don't believe that's possible, then you better read the book of Hebrews. You better read the experience of the wilderness. And yet as they knew where he was going to be coming from, that didn't make them believers. They had all the right facts, but their heart was not right with God from the beginning. Notice that the person was to be a ruler of Israel, literally in Israel. This speaks of his humanity. It would be a literal man, not some cosmic force, not some spirit, but a literal man. Now, the Jews have always thought that the Messiah would be the Son of God until now. They think he's going to be one like Moses. But at this time, they were expecting the Son of God. 
For that very reason, they continually rejected, as, as, as we read the New Testament, Jesus Christ, because he continually made himself out to be the Son of God. For Jesus said, for which of these works do you stone me? He said, for the works we don't stone you. But for you being continually making yourself out to be the Son of God. They knew exactly what he was saying. Now many people say, well, Jesus never said in the New Testament he was God. You better read it all over again. That's exactly why the Jews wanted to kill him continuously, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. From the beginning in Genesis 3.15, God said that the Messiah was going to come. He said the seed of the woman would be against the seed of the serpent. The seed there speaks of a virgin birth, a woman giving a birth to a child without any agency of a man. Now, that is a super miracle. And yet Isaiah the prophet, thousands of years later in Isaiah 7.14, declared the very same thing. Behold, a virgin shall bear a child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's exactly the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 1. The angel Gabriel came to Joseph and said, Listen, don't fear taking Mary your wife. You know, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he proclaims Isaiah's prophecy. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. He had proclaimed in Genesis 49.10 that the scepter would not be taken away till the Messiah Shiloh would come. The authority would be taken away from Israel. Then the Messiah would come. He would be a literal person. He would be a ruler. Interesting that they had to go to Pilate to get permission to crucify Jesus Christ because they couldn't do it. The power had been removed from them. The Messiah came, a literal person, but they rejected him. Jesus was human. Never lose sight of that. He ate. He slept. He cried. He died. A literal man. You say, yes, but here it says he would rule. Well, God lives in the eternal present, and his timing is not ours. And many times in the Old Testament, things are run together, as we see here, just these three and a half verses that we get from his birth all the way to the end of the thousand years. But as we get into the New Testament, we see a little more division of things, a little more clarity on things. But for the most part here, he's given a whole panoramic view of his birth to his reign. And yet, Jesus still reigns. He is supreme ruler. The only difference is that he rules over those who are willing to bow their knee. He doesn't force himself for now. But as we're going to see as we get to the end of this uh, section is that one day he will rule with a rod of iron. Absolute rule. Right now he gives the opportunity for those who want to bow to bow. He doesn't force anybody. But not only was he supposed to be a human ruler, but he was also to be identified with deity. Because notice that he says there that he would be from all from everlasting. The word everlasting means from the vanishing point, literally beyond the vanishing point. I mean, whoever is being spoken about here has to be eternal. It's not just someone who was created, it's not someone who came to existence at a set time, but his origin is from eternity. Nobody has the attribute of being eternal except for God. Everything is finite, everything is temporal, everything decays, everything is evil, everything comes to an end. The minute a baby is born, they're so neat, so fresh, so beautiful, but yet they're dying. And sometimes you look around and you don't see a person for a long time and say, man, he's getting old. You know anybody's getting younger? <laughs> Nobody's getting younger. Some of us covered up better than others, but we're still getting old. We're all dying. You look at the world around you, it's dying, but this person is one who had deity. 
John in his gospel, in chapter 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And then as you drop down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, tabernacle, made a tent among men. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God from all eternities came down and became man. Now sometimes that's hard to believe, but yet that's exactly what God said. And we know that God cannot lie. And yet as He did, it cost Him something. For the Scriptures are very clear, as Paul tells in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5-8, through 8, that He emptied Himself of His glory. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but He emptied Himself, He humbled Himself, and He took on the form of a servant. That's what amazed everybody, even the apostles. You know, they looked upon Jesus and, and they, you know, they believed Him in that, but many times they didn't. They thought they understood Him, but they didn't. How often Jesus through the gospel says, you guys understand me? And they go, yeah. <laughs> they didn't know. And then Peter often thought he did know, that he knew better than him. And when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go up and be killed. And Peter went up and grabbed him by the arm and brought him to the side and rebuked him, says, over my dead body. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not discern the things of God from the things of man. You see, too often we start getting off on our own little mind and we start figuring God's things out, man's ways. And they just don't work out that way. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He got tired of teaching the disciples, so he thought he would ultimately show them exactly what he was talking about, even as they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And in John 13, he just took a towel, girded himself, and began to wash their feet. You see, the only one that can really wash feet is the one who knows who he is. The one who is secure in himself. The one who has no hang-ups on his own pride. The one who doesn't have any hang-ups on trying to be someone. But God, knowing who he was and where he came from and where he was going, he had no problem washing feet. He says, I've given you an example. If I, being God, are willing to serve you, should you not serve one another? Because their whole thing was always trying to see who was best, who was first, who was number one. And he humbled them. One day he told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. Come on, you're not even 50 years old. What are you talking about? He wasn't just saying, I was before Abraham. He was saying, I am. <laughs> I am the one who said I am to Moses. I'm God. I'm not only a man, but I'm God. And because he's man, he can grab a hold of man's hand. And because he's God, he can grab a hold of the hand of God. And then what he did is die for us in that joint fellowship, God with man. But it's through his blood. If he had only been God and come down, then man couldn't have reached God or God couldn't have reached man because sin separates us from God. But he came down and gave himself for sin so that way he could pay the price and therefore man could be joined back to God. That's the miracle of, of salvation. That God did what man could never accomplish. That God, through His loving forgiveness, reached man through His Son. And so the coming Messiah, here in verse 2. Micah's proclaiming, your Messiah is coming. To who is he proclaiming it to? A rebellious people. We've already seen the sins of, of Micah's day. Remember, Hezekiah had given a seeming uh, spiritual reform, and people were turning to the Lord. But there was a superficiality among a lot of people. Now today, there's a great acceptance of Jesus Christ. We have to agree. But not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, belongs to the Lord. 
if you take any poll that is taken, we are told that what Americans are what? Seven out of ten, eight out of ten are said to be Christians? If that was true, man, things should be happening in the United States. But they're not. And so don't get uh, taken in by these polls that uh, people are really Christians. You may be coming to church every Sunday. You may even have a Bible. You may profess Christ. You may even speak the right language. But if you have never been born again, if you've never had a transformation in your life, then you're not a Christian. You may have knowledge, but that doesn't make you a Christian. When you're a Christian, you know you've accepted Christ and there has been a radical change in your life and you know that you know that He's the Son of God, the Messiah, who forgave you of your sins. And you know that you know that He not only came, but He's coming again. And your life reflects it. If your life does not reflect that He's coming, then He never came the first time for you. How do you expect Him to come the second time for you? You see, your going with Him does not depend on a second coming. Your going with Him depends on His first coming. When He died for you. He died in your place. In verse 3, we have the crying Messiah. He says, Therefore, He shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of His brethren shall return to the children of Israel. I labeled as the crying Messiah because this is exactly what took place in the heart of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 gave us His birth. We don't get all His ministry. We don't get all that we get in the Gospels. And here the prophet goes right into the rejection of Israel by Jesus Christ. But notice that he cried over his rejection of Israel when he gave them up. Sometimes we think that when God rejects man, he rejects him very smugly and says, well, good, go to hell. But he doesn't. Because the Bible says in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was made for no one but Satan and his angels. And yet there will be countless of millions of people in hell. Literally the lake of fire. Why? Because they rejected Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we see here in verse 3 is that when Jesus rejected Israel, He did it with a broken heart in the New Testament in Luke 19. In verse 41, listen to this. As Jesus was drawing near to Jerusalem, He saw the city and He wept over it and saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The prophet doesn't tell us about his weeping. We have to go to the New Testament. Yes, Jesus rejected Israel. Jesus rejected his people. But he did it with a broken heart. He wept over Jerusalem because they didn't identify their day. Now, maybe this is your day. Maybe people have been telling you about Jesus Christ. You've been rejecting. You finally came. Okay, I'll go one time. I'll get him out of my hair. But as you sit here, you're receiving the gospel. And God is here to give you an opportunity to open your heart to Him. Pastor Xavier Reese, 
has been drawing simple truths from Micah chapter 5 for allowing the prophesied ruler of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rule your heart as well. Now, you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And as we've had to break only partway through this study, we hope you'll be back next time for the conclusion. But if your schedule permits you to tune in, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Ruler of Israel to Come. It's available on CD for just $4. Now that title once again is The Ruler of Israel to Come. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com